The Internet started as a place to find information, researchers posting information for other researchers. And then individuals started putting up web pages with information about their personal interests. When I was a college undergrad, the university allocated web space for every student. This was in case one of us took a computer science course where one of the basic assignments was often learning to program a web page. When I found out that I had this web space, I taught myself HTML and put up my doctrinal statement that I completed in Bible college. Now, I didn't put mine up because I was the smartest or anything, but because I couldn't find anyone else's doctoral statement online. At this time, most churches, denominations, and other Christian institutions didn't even have websites. And if they did, none of them had a statement of Christian doctrines. So as I said, I didn't claim to be an expert. I was open on my webpage that I was just someone with a BA in Biblical Studies from a Calvinist-leaning, primarily Baptist institution, and this work was my senior graduation requirement. But the Internet was becoming a new place to learn, and I wanted to help people learn about Christianity. The Internet has come a long way since then. We now have more information available than any other time in history, yet people often act as ignorantly as ever, in part because not all available information is true, and also in part because, I believe, People think they are experts because they have easy ability to post what they believe and know how to do a Google search. I think we may live in a world full of supposed experts that may not even know the basics, which should call into question their expertise. I can't rightly call myself a math teacher if I don't know how to add, subtract, and count. I can't call myself an English teacher if I don't know how to read and write. I can't call myself a teacher of Christianity if I don't know Christ. I have to learn before I mature in an area. So following was our first mark of a disciple, and learning is our second mark. Not all learners are followers. A learner can become a follower. Nicodemus thought himself a teacher, but he had to become a learner and then later became a follower. Not all learners are already followers, but all followers should be learners. And we should start by learning the basics. In school, we call the basics the three R's, which is funny because only one of them actually starts with an R. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. People need to learn those foundational things to actually begin to understand and problem solve in the world. In Christianity, there are different ways we could define the basics. Some people would put faith as a basic, others the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and I don't disagree with those things. There are a few other things that are foundational. But Matthew 11:25 through 30 Jesus presents three R's for his disciples to learn. Broad categories that include specific teachings that most of us would consider foundational. The three R's that Jesus wants his disciples to learn are revelation, relationships, and rest. So as I said, our text today is Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, 
and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The first thing Jesus wants his disciples to learn are revealed things. Revealed means something is hidden and can only be known by others if someone takes the covering off. Say I have something hidden under a napkin and you know nobody who you know other than me would know what's under the napkin. It's impossible to know until I reveal it. And then everybody can know. Jesus begins in Matthew 11:25 in a prayer to God the Father saying that there are some things of God that no matter how wise or intelligent a person is, they would never figure it out. Yet these secret things are so simple that once revealed, even a child could understand it. I think this revelation is, is only one thing, but it has many layers. In Jesus, God reveals how individuals and the world is saved. Jesus is the fulfillment of the seed prophecy of Genesis 3.15, where God says to the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. After the disobedience of humanity, God promises to restore humanity, but God does not reveal at that time how the restoration will happen. The idea that God, who gave humanity over and kept only one person, Abraham, as an inheritance for himself and would not save just as an inheritance but would save the whole world is barely conceivable. God gave big hints before Jesus. God appeared in human form in many times in the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. God talked, touched, ate. God appeared in human form while still maintaining a divine presence in heaven or the spiritual realm. There's not time to go through all the passages, but you can look at just about any passage where the angel of Yahweh, the son of man, the rider on the clouds, or the captain of the Lord's host appears, and you'll see that that messenger is physically present, distinct from Yahweh, and also is the same as Yahweh. It wasn't until the second century after Christ, after Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah, that the Jews changed their doctrine to reject what is known historically as the two powers in heaven. The ancient Israelites didn't believe in two gods, but that Yahweh manifests in two powers, one invisible and one visible, often physical. Yet the idea that God would really actually become a physical human being starting out in the womb didn't cross their minds. So they chose to reject that ancient theology that is obvious from the scriptures because accepting it would mean affirming Jesus as the Messiah. No one, human or angelic, had any idea about the incarnation of God. The idea that the creator, the most high who created humans in the image of God, would then create himself in the image of humanity was inconceivable. The idea that the most holy God would take the guilt of the disobedience of the world upon himself is inconceivable. The idea that the giver of life would take the punishment of death is inconceivable. Now, I've just said inconceivable several times, 
But unlike Vicini in The Prince's Bride, I do know what it means. God said he would save the world, but no person, no heavenly angel, no fallen spirit knew how God planned to pull it off. Speaking of the prophets and angels, 1 Peter 1.12 says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Speaking of fallen spirits, 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They just didn't know. But now, the Apostle Paul says, we can all learn it and benefit from it. Ephesians 3, uh, 3 through 6, the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to the people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. The disciple must learn salvation. Learning salvation has implications for understanding the character and nature of God, for my own life, and implications for the transformation of the world. It's accepting the revelation of salvation that makes one a follower and a learner. Returning to our text, Matthew 11:27, Jesus says, All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. So the second thing that disciples learn are relational things. There is learning in discipleship, but salvation is not an academic exercise any more than marriage. If I told you that my wife and I studied how marriage is viewed in different cultures around the world and through history, that we studied the legal aspects of marriage, that we studied the social and personal implications of marriage, that we studied how to be good marriage partners, but we never actually made the marriage covenant with each other, Anyone would logically and rightly say, you two are well educated, but you are not married. Knowledge is important to marriage, but the core of marriage and the core of salvation is the relationship. The first relationship that Jesus wants his disciples to learn about is the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. There are two aspects of that relationship given here. First, that the Father entrusts all things to the Son. God the Father is absolutely sure that the incarnated Son will be the perfect human imager of God and will complete the salvation for the world. And second, the Father and the Son have a relationship with each other that is infinitely intimate and exclusive. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. This is not perhaps the most overt passage, but the idea of this intimate and exclusive knowledge is echoed when Jesus says, I and the Father are one in John 10.30. So the first relationship is between God the Father and God the Son. The second relationship is between the Son and humanity. It's through a relationship with the Son that humans can have access to the exclusive Father-Son relationship. 
It's another revealed part of salvation. The Son revealed to the Father to humanity. John 14, 6 and 9, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Being a disciple of Jesus is not merely learning to follow in obedience. Following in obedience is absolutely part of it, but it's not all of it. Being a disciple of Jesus is not merely learning the doctrines and truths. Learning the truth is absolutely a part of it, but it's not all of it. Being a disciple of Jesus is learning I'm in a relationship, first with God and second with God's people. Since the COVID pandemic began, I think we've all recognized the importance of relationships in addition to obedience to the truth. Now let's finish. Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As a disciple, I learn revealed things, relational things, and finally, restful things. Everything, I mean, every person, I think, has experienced the time of going through a tough day, where at the end of it, I just want to rest. Maybe it was a day of hard physical labor. Maybe it was a day of hard mental labor. Maybe a day of high stress. Maybe a time of sickness. Maybe a time of emotional stress. Whatever the cause, people need rest. I mean, just in my normal life, I know I do a lot better if I get just one day a week to sleep in. My youngest daughter, on the other hand, has a lot of energy, and she doesn't like to sleep or rest at nap time or in the evening. But there are some nights when she's just worn out, and instead of getting in and out of the bed or talking with her toys or banging on the walls, I put her in bed, and she says, I'm not going to play. I'm just going to sleep. Genesis 3 informs us of what life will be like for all of humanity after the disobedience of Adam and Eve. There's still the charge to be fruitful and multiply, but childbearing will be hard. There's still the charge to subdue and rule the earth, but the earth will not cooperate. Humanity is still in the image of God, but imaging is no longer natural to us. The joy of work became the burden of work. Jesus calls all who are weary and burdened, weary and burdened from sin and the curse, weary and burdened from trying and failing to keep the law. To humanity, Jesus offers rest, a true Sabbath, a break from labor. God offered this rest to Israel, and Jeremiah 6.16 tells us what happened. This is what the Lord says, Stand by the roadway and look. Ask about the ancient paths. Which is the way to what is good? Then take it and find rest for yourselves. But they protested. We won't. The law of God, which was a law of freedom and rest, became a yoke and burden to them. They couldn't keep it. Hebrews 3.11 and Psalm 95.11 tells us that because of their disobedience, God swore that they would not enter his rest. Jesus' offer is not one where all work ceases. He says, take my yoke. A yoke is what farmers put on an ox to plow. Jesus also says, though, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
Jesus still expects me to do good, obeying the commands of God, but my life doesn't depend on that. Jesus fulfilled the law for me and then empowers me with the Holy Spirit to follow him. Here's how a burden can become easy and a yoke light. My friend Steve gave me a book that he read on Frederick Douglass. I'm interested in black history, and Steve would like to talk with me about the content of the book. But this biography is almost 900 pages. I'm a fast reader, but to read that well enough to have a conversation about it, I have to take my time. I have to focus. To read it quickly, I'd have to not read anything else or write my sermons. So the book sat by my bedside for a long time. Finally, I brought the book back to Steve because I was afraid I was never going to get to read it. And I didn't want anything to happen to Steve's nice hardback book. But when I brought the book back, Steve reminded me of something. He said, that's not my book. I gave that book to you as a gift. He would still like me to read it and talk about it. But the fact that it was my book took the pressure off me to find time to read it quickly. It went from being a 900-page burden to a 900-page gift. That's the rest that Jesus offered the gift of salvation, not the burden of trying to work for it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one could boast. And that's what a disciple has to learn. It's not a ceasing of work, but a work in restful assurance. In our gospel reading this morning, we heard how Nathaniel became a disciple. He wasn't called in the same way as the fisherman and the tax collector. Before committing to following Jesus, he had to learn about Jesus. He learned that his friends were following Jesus and believed he was the promised Messiah. He learned where Jesus was from, Nazareth. And most importantly, he learned that it was Jesus speaking to his heart, calling him to a relationship and rest while he was still under the fig tree. And he learned that he had more to learn. Let's pray today from Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from a far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. This is wondrous knowledge and is beyond me. I'm unable to reach it. My prayer today is that we have learned from you and continue to learn from you and that we may grow in your image and teach others. Amen. I hope today that you will think of one thing that resonated with you with this message, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you've heard. I leave you with this blessing. May the weakest among us be like King David. May the God who gives encouragement and endurance give us the spirit of unity as we follow Christ, so that with one heart and one mouth, we may together glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.